The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and welcome to Friday Night Live, another edition of Friday Night Live with me, Hafiz Shaban, this Friday, the 7th of February evening 2020. Uh, corresponding, uh, I believe, to the second, 12th, not the second, the 12th of Jamal Dathani, uh, edging ever, ever closer to uh, Ramadan 1441. As usual, we are broadcasting live to Luton on 105.1 FM. Uh, we're also broadcasting across to some of our sister stations in Sheffield, Link FM, uh, Peterborough, Salam, Derby, Nottingham, and a lot of other uh, cities around the UK. I, I, I want a show of hands if you're listening to me in Sheffield. Peterborough, Derby, Nottingham not not literally showing me your hands but you know what, you can ping me and say you know what, we are listening to you and we are listening to you live from Sheffield Peterborough, Nottingham or any of the other cities in the UK that will be proof that we are broadcasting and our good airwaves are reaching the good people of those cities and of course anyway you can listen to us uh, via uh, the Inspire FM app and a lot of people, of course, prefer to tune in uh, live to the Facebook stream, uh, so they can also actually see us here live uh, from the studio, uh, from the studios, broadcasting live from the studios. Great to, to see some of our listeners uh, tune in. Most importantly, join today's discussion, join today's debate. An interesting—I'm going to call it an interesting lineup or a lineup of stories we're going to be covering this evening for you. Uh, I'm sure you already know the number: 01582, 01582481822 is the number here in the studio. Zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two is the number for SMS WhatsApp messages. Right, so uh, we're going to be we've got uh, we've got an extremely interesting lineup of uh, guests that we're going to be speaking to. We've got Sheikh Suleiman Ghani, no stranger to Inspire FM. We're going to be speaking to Sheikh Suleiman Ghani very very soon. We've got Cage, also representatives uh, who are going to be speaking to us this evening. We've got money experts who are going to be giving us some advice on on fraud and, and some general advice around money. Uh, and of course, we are also likely to have uh, from Chorney High School for Girls in the studio. Some fantastic results and stand, outstanding, uh, outstanding achievements for a, a local school. So we're going to be covering that as a story. In terms of the lineup this evening, we're going to be we're going to be picking up and starting off with the Streatham attack. Uh, Streatham attack last weekend. Uh, we're going to be covering that. We're going to be looking into the coverage of the Streatham attack, uh, and we're going to be asking a number of questions. We've got Sheikh Suleiman Ghani. We've got Khurram Bashir, who's a prison in. And we've got Cage, Brother Kerry, who are going to be speaking to us on this particular subject matter. So that Streatham attack last Sunday. Did you cover it? What did you make of the attack and the response to the attack? That's the questions we're asking. We've got ATM fraud we're going to be covering later, as I said, uh, and some financial fraud and get some experts' advice on how we can protect ourselves. Uh, we've got a couple of stories involving Ofsted, positive and negative. I already said we've got an outstanding for a local Luton school that we're going to be covering. So a, a great result for a local school. Well, let's cover that. And then also we've got a, 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 an age-old problem, it seems, with Ofsted and Islamic schools uh, in, in a latest twist of a story one islamic school is suing uh, 
suing Ofsted after being failed after being failed on a recent inspection. So we're gonna cover that. So that's the lineup this evening, inshallah ta'ala. We're gonna move straight into our lead story, right? And the lead story is the Streatham attack. Right, we're going to be speaking to, as I said, Sheikh Suleiman Ghani. We've got Khurram Bashir, who's a prison imam. We've got Kerry, who's a cage spokesman. Now, some of you may have followed the events last Sunday. Right? So, so let me just give you a quick recap. Gunshots last uh, okay, were heard on Streatham High Road uh, just after 2 p.m. on Sunday, the 2nd of February. We know later what transpires is Sudesh Aman, a 20-year-old, was shot dead by police on, St- on Streatham High Road, right? After stabbing a number of people, right? Now, the police called it an Islamist-related terrorist incident, right? Now, I, I, I want to focus on a number of areas. I've only got a half an hour. I want to focus on a number, number of areas. The police called it an Islamist-related terrorist incident, right? Uh, and we know that, of course, Sudesh Aman, was in prison. He was released early at the end of January, serving half of his three-year sentence, right? And he was previously in there for uh, some so-called terrorism activities, right? So that's the background to it. Now, before we go into the discussion, let me tell you about a different incident in Preston on the 26th of January, right? In detail in Preston. It's on the BBC website. A young non-Muslim male approached a 50-year-old outside Sainsbury's and there was an interchange and the young male stabbed the man, right? Three hours later, the perpetrator approached a female on Blackpool Road on Blackpool Road and stabbed her. And then five minutes later, he approached a male on a bike, threatened to stab him, stole his bike. But hang on, that was no terrorist incident. Surprise, surprise, because of course he wasn't a Muslim. So you can see the perspective, you can see the dilemma, and you can see where I'm going with this, right? Because there has been an article which has, you know, made a comparison between what we've seen in Streatham and what we're seeing again and again in other incidences. And the questions, the legitimate questions have been asked. No one is condoning any act of violence, right? Any act of violence is, needs to be condemned categorically, absolutely. But we need to ask a question with regards to media reaction, police reaction, government reaction, and where is it all going to, right? And that is the question that is being asked, right? And and I'm going to raise this question out to my listeners, and I want to get my guests on, on the call in the next couple of seconds and ask the questions. Is it really these Muslim men that have been radicalized in prison? Is that the problem? Is the problem that... You know, is the way that the media and the police and the government is reacting or handling it. On the one hand, it's an Islamist terrorist incident. On the other hand, exactly something similar is happening, but that's not referred to as a terrorist incident. Is it double standards when it comes to Muslims? Let's go straight to Sheikh Suleiman Ghani, no stranger to Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to Friday Night Live, Sheikh Suleiman Ghani. Right, Jazakallah Hashem for joining us, mashallah, not the first time and not the last time too, inshallah ta'ala, right? So you heard my introduction, I, I've got a slight problem, I mean no one is condoning the actions, whatever actions that, that took place on the 2nd of February, no one, you know, accepts that, I mean, a human life is an is a inviolable human life, right, whether it's Muslim, non-Muslim, but we have two different incidents, similar actions, and completely two different narratives. What, what did you make of it, Sheikh Suleiman? 
You know, I mean, that is uh, what you have pointed out is uh, very, very clear. How is it that uh, when it is a Muslim and we see the narrative is very, very different the way it's treated and this London Bridge attack uh, and also the Streatham attack, uh, why is it that they both suffer exactly the same fate? Mm. You know, we can't understand how is it that they are gunned down and they are being really, you know, we have a very fully armed policemen who, I mean, it simply means that, you know, it's, we sometimes wonder how is it you cannot even, you know, uh, capture a person alive at least. Yes. And at least, you know, it, it makes a big difference because then you can make a better investigation. Because, you know, yes. you have fully armed, well-trained. Yes, and yes. And much greater in numbers. Yes. So easy to over... So that is where the the confusion is. When you have highly qualified, trained expertise and... These perpetrators, they have been shot down and they have been killed. Mm. You know, it, it doesn't, it, I cannot understand what is the message. Is it because they are Muslim? Mm. Terrorists is going to be treated very different mm. from somebody who may be a white supremacist terrorist, for yeah. example. Yes. Is it just because he is a Muslim? Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you are already using and regarding him as a a terrorist and shoot to kill policy, it yes. really doesn't make sense when you find other people are committing much greater crimes, Yes, not Muslim, but treated differently. So yeah. that is where the confusion is. So, so, I so, can't yeah, absolutely. I mean, and a lot of legitimate questions, I, I would say, a lot of legitimate questions, but, you know, the agenda seems to not ask those legitimate questions, but, you know, let's just move on. And let's already assume that it's a terrorist incident. Let's assume it's an Islamist terrorist incident. Let's assume Islam has something to do with it, which which clearly, categorically, there is no link between Islam and, and that particular incident. Let's also assume that these people have been radicalized in prison and, and the, the source of radicalization is, is Islam. I mean, all of these typical uh, narratives that are, you know, that are portrayed, that are publicized, that, that are given public airtime, and a lot of legitimate questions in terms of what were all of these un numerous plainclothes pl armed policemen doing in the vicinity, you know, so so close and, and so immediate, you know, around this particular incident. And then, you know, the whole, you know, you know, the, the cinema almost, you know, the theater that follows it versus the incident that was just happening a couple of days earlier in Preston, where it's completely, completely different. But I mean, it seems like, you know, Sheikh, I mean, a lot of people that I've discussed with that, you know, those questions are not being asked. And then secondly, you know, immediately we find that the government's jumping on the bandwagon and now ready to introduce more legislation. I mean, it's almost like, you know, it, you know, ends justifies the means for, for the government to now bring in more further legislation and, you know, you know, have a, you know, a, you know, a free reign to do whatever it likes. Yes, indeed. This is where the issue is. For now, you have a decade has gone by government's counter extremism, counter extremism strategies. Mm widely criticized because disproportionately targeting Muslims right. and their communities. Right. So okay. I think this, uh, yeah. Okay, so we've we've got Khurum Bashir also on on the call, right? Khurum uh, Bashir. Now Khurum Bashir is the prison imam, right? Works a lot with people who have uh, mental health issues. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, uh, brother Khurum, uh, and welcome to Friday Night Live. 
Right, Sheikh, you, you've probably heard the, the, the last couple of minutes, the introduction, the context, the dilemma that a lot of the Muslims are having in terms of the complete two different narratives for a similar incident. When it's a Muslim, it's a different narrative. When it's a non-Muslim, it's a different narrative. Like we said, no one condones you know any violence against any human being. That's absolute, right? Now to make a, a completely illogical conclusion that somehow this is brainwashing, you know, Islamist brainwashing and Islamist brainwashing is the is is is, is the reason for this is a bit far-fetched, isn't it? And isn't it something that we should be pushing back against as opposed to accepting that narrative? What, what, what's your view on that? You know what, brother, I have heard just now mm. that uh, someone was criticizing of government having new legislation. Yes. So what I can ascertain that it is a working democracy. Yes. And uh, any any new scenarios uh, emerges, then obviously they need uh, new legislation. You know. No, uh, you know, we, we are not disputing legislation. Legislation has its role, and and there's a, and there's a process for introducing legislation. You 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 can't just you know bring in draconian legislation without proper debate, due diligence, just on the back end uh, back end of one incident, which a lot of other families are saying is amounts to collective punishment. So that there's not justification for that. I, I don't believe there's a justification for just you know draconian legislation on the back end of a single. You an incident. My point to you is: Do you accept, as an imam that goes into into prisons, that is Islam that is to blame for these incidents? I mean, because that's what the government's pushing. No, government. Uh, I don't think is pushing. Uh, I think it's not draconian legislation. You know, I beg to differ with you. Right. It's not draconian legislation. Okay. The, the, there will be a commission to look into the affairs and how many people, including that. Uh, one who has been killed by the police, it's the seven people only and no six more people. So if there are uh, potential danger and, and if they have to uh, come in front of any commission, I think that is for the, not for the safety of the whole uh, community. Mm. Because it can be you and me or our loved ones on the street when someone does this uh, indiscriminately, you know? Right. So, but I've got a... Uh, so we we Muslims have... Yes. Sorry. sorry Sometimes we look on the things on a negative perspective. Right. Although it's a working democracy, and um, they have to look into any new scenario and come with the solutions. Okay. Okay, Khurum Sab, I've got a question for you. You're an imam in the prisons, correct? Right. One of the narratives that has been pushed is that some of these prisoners are being radicalized in the prisons. So does that mean you're radicalizing the prisoners in, 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 you know, the Muslim prisoners inside prison? Obviously, this is not the case, you know, and mm. uh, there is no true opinion that the mm. prisons have a reform, uh, reforming uh, agenda as well. Yes. And uh, particularly Islam has reformed a lot of people, you know, who became Muslim. Yes. Not only here in the United States as well, you will find a yes. lot of black people who embrace Islam, their whole lives uh, have been changed and their values uh, are uh, very gentle and very pro-human yes. and they lead a life which is pure, wholesome and yes. a good uh, life, you know. This is uh, the impact of Islam on their lives and then there's no doubt in it, you know. However, there are sometimes peer um, pressure 
Yes. Or some people, and if they have a bad company, yes. bad company, so the, uh, as a imam or as any other officer yes. in the prison, they are supposed to keep an eye upon that because people uh, sometimes they are not uh, uh, mentally mature enough okay. to distinguish between right and wrong. Because Islam is a religion which presents uh, a life with a lot of right and wrongs, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. because uh, if, uh, this uh, distinction between right and wrong has been erased, Okay. Islam says this is a very okay. Just 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 hold on, just hold on, because Sheikh Suleiman Ghani, he doesn't have much time, and I need to go back to Sheikh Suleiman because my my point here is uh, Sheikh Suleiman, right? Apart from the dichotomy and, and the very clear contradictions between two similar incidents, on the one hand, Islam is terrorism; on the other hand, there's no mention of of any terrorism because it happens to be a non-Muslim who's a perpetrator of of multiple stabbings in Preston. Right. I, I mean, let, let's just focus on the Islam element. I mean, Islam for me is 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 a means and, and, and an ideology that has brought people away from violence, away from criminality, away from abuse onto the straight path. And here we have, you know, a Western media that very you know loosely uses Islam to label it in a very negative way and say these people are doing this because of Islam. Sheikh Suleiman, I mean, what, what's your perspective? Perspective, and especially when it comes to this theory that it's now the prisons that are the source of you know this radicalization. Yes, indeed, and this is where the big problem is. You know, when you have uh, Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, senior cabinet minister, when he said in an interview in Sky News, and this was only on Tuesday, yes. there is a big difference between those people who are Islamist extremist terrorists. Islamist extremist terrorists and those convicted of other offenses. This in itself it clearly points out that there is going to be a two-tier system hmm. for those people who are going to be, if they are Muslim, if they are prisoners, we are asking, you know, what about the far-right terrorism? Yes. Isn't that a fastest-growing problem that we have? Yeah. Yeah. What about those other offenders? Why is it that only these types of offenders of others are not the same? Yes, uh, and if it's a person, if it's a Muslim, we find this targeting Muslims and the communities, mm. and this is the greatest concern that we have. Okay, right. this, uh, meaning it's going to really have a, uh, you know, people are going to be disenfranchised, and this is why it has yes. to be really strongly condemned. You cannot treat the Muslim prisoner different from any type of other sure. prisoner for any sure. other offences. Sure. It has to be equal. Yeah, sure. Sheikh Suleiman, I, I know you have to uh, you have to leave, right? You've only got twenty minutes. So Jazakallah for for your time this evening, and Jazakallah for for joining us. Uh, but if you if you want to hold on, and you still got a few more minutes, uh, you know, I'm more than welcome to for you to to continue to do that. Up to you. Yeah, I can stay on oh, for ten minutes. Uh, excellent. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I want to go straight to to Brother Kerry uh, from from Cage. Uh, Brother Kerry, firstly, Assalamualaikum. Uh, welcome to Friday Night Live. You've probably heard the last couple of minutes conversations that we've had. Yes. We're looking at the media. We're looking at the police. We're looking at the government reaction. No surprises there at all, right? My question to you and and the earlier that I raised with with, with uh, Brother Khurram is, you know. The, the, the almost kind of a, the implication, not the almost implications, but immediately we've seen the emergency legislation that's now being drafted and, and, and going to be rushed through. We, we've seen, you know, people term this as collective punishment for everyone on the back end of, a, of one incident, right? I mean, what are your fears with regards to where the government seems to be taking this narrative in terms of legislation? Well, to be honest, there, there are so many 
issues here that are, are so far wrong mm. um, that it, it's hard to even know where to begin. Sure. For one thing, as you said, collective punishment. The, a lot of these people um, are, who have been convicted of crimes, who are already serving their time in prison, have been bef- before a, a trial, been before a judge, and have yeah. already been sentenced. Mm. It is fundamentally against the law yeah. um, and against the, the principles of justice to then change their sentences after the fact, um, after they've already been uh, convicted. Yes. Some of them may have even pled guilty on the condition of uh, understanding of what their sentence would be. Mm. And so therefore to change that is a breach of habeas corpus and a breach of uh, international law as well. Sure. Um, these are the sorts of behaviours that we see from uh, regimes across the world that um, are known for, for despotic leadership, not uh, a so-called bastion of, of but but uh, but, but brother but Kerry, what, last couple la, last couple of years, we, we, are, are you surprised to see this kind of you know response from the British government, especially after the last couple of years? I mean, I earlier termed it as draconian legislation. Brother Khurram disagreed uh, with regards to this being draconian. I mean, the legislation that we've seen on the anti-terrorism bill, right? In in the past, where you know you can be you know you, you can be held in prison for, for is it thirty days, ninety days, without even being be being privy to the evidence that's held against you for me is draconian legislation i don't know how you how you term it look fundamentally at the moment uh, we're in a situation where we have a two justice system um sheikh suleiman was entirely correct in what he was saying that if you're a muslim and you've committed a crime you are uh, potentially facing an entirely different uh, justice system and and set of parameters uh, to to, to another, any other member of society who commits a similar crime. Mm. For example, we're, we're looking to automatically increase the, the amount of uh, time that uh, people who are convicted spend in prison um, and uh, take away any chance of uh, early release. But let, let's, let's dig down into that. Mm. There have been so many cases, and not just one or two, but so many cases where uh, people, young people especially, have uh, committed the same crime um, that the young man who committed this awful atrocity in Streatham committed in his first instance where he downloaded some materials that he shouldn't have. Um, but the judge, the judge has said, those materials are illegal, you shouldn't have them, but you didn't have any intentions to do anything wrong. For example, mm. I worked on a case where a sister downloaded these materials to try and de-radicalize her brother. Oh. Um, she was still sentenced to prison because having those books in and of themselves is illegal. But the judge accepted in his ruling and in his judgment that she had no intention to do anything wrong. And actually, she was trying to stop her brother mm. and bring him onto um, a, a, a non-violent path. Um, and she only had these books for research material. Right. There have been lots of cases like that. Sure, sure. Um, we, can, we can even look to the case of a, 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 a Dr. Rizwan, um, uh, who was a, a, a lecturer um, right. at that time doing his master's, um, who had these books. And ended up being held for so, 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 brother Kerry, we, we've uh, got we've got three we've got three minutes left, right? So, 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 where are we going with all of this then, right? So, we we see the one-sided, you know, you, you say, we're talking about two-tier system when it comes to you know justice and and, and uh, judiciary. We, we we definitely have a two-tier system when it comes to media. We have a two-tier system when it comes to the policing, government reaction, legislation. 
I mean, it all spells, you know, a, a very negative kind of an outlook for, for the Muslim community. I mean, the Muslim community needs to take more responsibility, right? Ensure that it's getting a very clear message across to its own, you know, community. But over and beyond that, what else, what, what else, what are the other options out there that, that we need to, uh, you know, utilize? And, and uh, what, what, what is it that our message needs to be out there? Well, we need to focus on uh, a proactive, positive message. Um, mm. We need to, to reach out where there are problems within our own community and, and deal with them mm. um, in, in, a, in a positive uh, manner. And that means dealing with these things in, in a non-securitized approach, but also in, in making sure that our young people know what is and isn't um, acceptable right. and, and allowed. Um, and that means having tough conversations. Yeah. But furthermore, we've got to understand what is the cause of these problems? Why, right. why young men... Um, ending up going out buying knives and doing these things sure. it's because they're, they're being told um, by nefarious forces out there that they c they can never be part of this culture they can never be part of this society they can okay. be, be at one here and the government is feeding into that by then creating these two tier systems okay. Okay. That, that strengthen that right. narrative Sheikh Suleiman uh, 15 seconds your, fin your final thoughts on, on, on this issue yes indeed we are concerned and worried about all those who are still uh, held in prison though maybe probably over 200 what's mm. going to be the condition if they are going to be released if they are going to serve full duration whether or not they still have to be released so at mm. what point are we going to say that they have been de-radicalized yeah. therefore this system and this uh, new, uh, you know, this is very discriminatory prison system. Right. And you cannot be treating Muslims okay. unfairly and differently okay. from other prisons. All right, Jazakallah here for that. Uh, and Brother Khurram, your, your final thoughts? Yeah, my final thought is that there cannot be any justification of these types of attacks. Sure. You know, uh, people have uh, their grievances, but... Uh, Blatantly attacking on passerbys and on innocent people has no justification, and Islam Absolutely. does not condone that. Correct, correct. Okay, we uh, condemn it, you know, outright. Thank you, thank you very much. On the, thank you very much on the, on that note, Brother Khuram, Sheikh Suleiman, and Brother Kerry. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Okay, that was the, our guest, and we were discussing the Streatham attacks. We will cap, we will try to you know you know pull our thoughts together, and uh, I, I want to hear from my listeners when I come back from the commercial break. We're going to go into a commercial break now. When we come back, we'll have a, a, a kind of an analysis and, and a review of that discussion over the last half an hour. Until then, we come back. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafi Shaban, on uh, this Friday, the 7th of February 2020. Uh, it's just gone past uh, 6:30 p.m. Uh, and we've just concluded our first conversation, first discussion that we've had of the of the evening, first story on that was of course the the incident that took place last weekend in Streatham in uh, in London, and we had uh, Sheikh Suleiman Ghani, Khurram Bashir, prison imam, and we had carry from cage uh, all giving us their perspective i wasn't able to kind of pull everything together because uh, that was the, the nature of the conversation uh, and having three guests on on the live at the same time but i want to hear your thoughts uh, from my, i want to hear the, the thoughts of my listeners 0158248182 
uh, 0779481822 for any SMS uh, WhatsApp messages, right? What, 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 did you, what do you make of it? I mean, our perspective, of course, was, okay, looking at the, the difference between the Preston attack, right, and the Streatham attack. One is a terrorist attack, one isn't. Why is that? Numerous plain clothes officers all apparently within immediate vicinity uh, and the whole, you know, fiasco around it, you know, the the, the overhead helicopter circling around, you know, the Islamist terrorism, you know, you know, labels that have been used, you know, for one and not for the other. Of course, the other wasn't a Muslim, right? So, I mean, there's legitimate questions that need to be asked there. Uh, and, you know, of course, there, there's this allegation with regards to Islam and in the role of Islam. I mean, that that's, a, you know, a question that we need to ask. But also there have been problems highlighted with regards to state resourcing number of probation officers austerity measures creating you know a, a deficiency in the system you know you know not enough adequate numbers within the system and therefore not being able to man the services correctly and therefore there's early releases in a lot of the cases right to what extent does that play a role and last but not least i did i did want to ask this to the the prison imam and unfortunately i wasn't able to because i ran out of time to what extent does some of this, you know, incarceration, draconian legislation, demonization, racism and all the other kind of stuff, right, play a role in radicalization, right? That's that's an interesting perspective that probably not a lot of people look at it from. But I mean, does that play a role, right? Does that play a role? That was going to be my question to the Imam. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to raise that question. But of course, as the Imam did put it, of course no community condones such violence against the innocent human life and an innocent human being and that's true for any community and any faith right so that's not the question the question is how we're dealing with it. i think that was the question that we were focusing on anyway 01582 is the number here in the studio 0779481822 for any of your sms whatsapp messages Right, we're going to move, be moving on to a next story. It's a, it's a local story, very a lot closer to home, uh, and, and a positive story. Uh, you know, we, we like to cover some positive stories on our, on our news, you know, medium, uh, media, uh, media, medium. It's always good. We're, we're, we're very accustomed to hearing a lot of negative stuff. Uh, it's always great to have a change and cover some positive stories, right? And especially when it comes to Luton too, because we, we don't. We, we, let's be let's be honest. We don't get a lot of positive stories and coverage when it comes to Luton. So uh, the. A local, a local Chorney High School for Girls has recently achieved an outstanding grade from out, from Ofsted. And it's good that also we're covering a positive story when it comes to Ofsted because immediately after this story, I'm going to be covering some negative stories when it comes to Ofsted. So we've got some positive and some negative. So let, let, me, get, let, let me introduce my, uh, my guests in, in, in the studio, inshallah, who can uh, share this uh, positive news story with me. So I've got... Uh, is, is it uh, Joe, Joe, a head teacher from Chony uh, Girls High School? Is that That's correct? right, Joe, Joe Miles. Uh, Joe Miles, well, welcome to uh, Inspire FM. Welcome to you. Thank you. Friday Night Live. Great to have you here in the studio. And of course, uh, Sister Rihanna Fessel is, is no stranger to to either the station or the or the show. Assalamu alaikum, Sister, and welcome uh, back to the to the studio. Wa alaikum salam. 
Right, so uh, t tell us about this uh, fantastic achievement first. First, of course, congratulations to the school. Uh, Thank you very much. Congratulations to the head teacher, the Thank staff, uh, the, the, the full team. The chair of governors. The chair of governors. The students. Course, the students. The parents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely, because it's not an individual effort, is it, to achieve such a, an accolade? No, I think it's a really a collaborative effort. We're just so proud of the students. Yeah. We're really proud of the staff, the governing yeah. body, um, the trust, the central team, Adrian yeah. Rogers, our CEO, and also the uh, parents in the community who've supported us right the way through. Right, fantastic. I mean, I, I will, we'll come on to Adrian Rogers and, and, and the different components and how it's all pulled together to achieve achieve that. I mean, I did go on to the, the school website, which is, which, is, which is good always to do that. Uh, and, and I was quite actually impressed because you had a, an earlier inspection, I think it was 2015, right? I don't know if that was the last inspection, but that's the report that's on your website, right? Yeah, it's a long where, while ago now. Exactly, yeah. where everything was requires improvement and then 2020, outstanding, everything's outstanding. So that's mm -hmm. fantastic. I don't know if, that, if those are the only two, you know, inspections, 2015 and then 2020, or whether there's been something in the interim. But I mean, that, that's a, 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 a significant improvement. It is. It yeah. is. I mean, the, the two, 2015 one is quite outdated and right. there's a lot of work that's gone on at right. the school since yeah. since then. Yeah, sure, sure it has. I mean, how, how has that journey been? I mean, t t t share some of the, you know, the components that have gone into it to, to make that such a successful story. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, teachers, a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners from some of the other schools, you know, probably, you know, are going to be coveting something, something similar in terms of an achievement. You know, what what, what has it meant in terms of you know, the components to achieve such a, such a result? Uh, well, I think one of the key things actually is a really a real focus on teaching and learning, right. supporting teachers to develop their practice in the classroom. Also with students, supporting their self-esteem and their confidence and opportunities for student leadership and working with parents uh, as well in the community because without parents in the community, um, students can't thrive. So it's all of those things really uh, together, mm. but a real focus on teaching and learning, teamwork, collaboration, both within the school and with the trust and with parents. All right. Wow. All right. So, so no surprises there in terms of all the components, all the all ticks in all all of the the, the entire checklist. Uh, Sister Rihanna, you've got a smile and and you're nodding. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're the governor or the chair of of, of the governor? Well, I'm chair, a governor chair. and chair of governors. Uh, chair. Yep. Okay. Okay. Both right. So, what role has the the governors and and the board of governors play in in uh, in terms of helping the school? you know, achieve that accolade and then also building the bridge between, of course, the parents and pl plus the school? Um, I think we do what I hope um, every um, governing body does and we we scrutinise what's going on. We, we continue that push and that drive for standards um, on, on a personal level. I mean, I joined the governing body just a little bit before Joe was appointed. I was involved actually in jo Joe's um, appointment. Um, and I think we've both been here um, almost three years. Um, Joe slightly less, I think. Mm. Um, September 2017. And I think for me, Joe touches on all the right things. Um, but overarching that is actually... Um, focusing on so you know our motto always is is the girls are most important and joe came into the school saying god these girls are brilliant these girls what are was brilliant the, motto, the, the girls are the most important the girls are the most important thing in our school oh, yeah. so you know when when that is your aim i mean sometimes mm. creating change is always a difficult thing and people mm. don't like change um, and driving that can be a difficult thing for any leader um but actually in our school what we do have is that we have staff that 
really care for their young people. So it is about seeing our girls as the brilliant young women that they are and seeing the potential within them, working mm. with our families and, and, and actually working with the aspirations of our families. You know, so we know how aspirational our community are. We know how important that school is in mm. particular to our community, um, which is why the response actually to the Ofsted report has been so heartwarming and Joe's had. Um, and actually, this is my um, sort of opportunity now on radio to say, Joe has had a ton of cakes, biscuits, flowers mm. from parents coming in, Guys, I'm here as well. Um, yeah. I've not had any. <laughs> um, so if people are listening, that's just not good enough. Um, but the response from the community and the families has yeah. just been... I mean, I doubt Joe has seen anything like that before. Um, no, I've never been in a school where parents have brought in a cake which is beautifully iced with wow. congratulations to the Fantastic. school on it Fantastic. with chocolates and with biscuits right. for staff um, as well. So I think that generosity has been really has been really yeah, touching. Yeah. But what Rahana said about the girls being at the centre of it, mm. um, the end sentence of the report says that pupils' well-being and success are at the heart of everything the school does. Right. So I think the inspection really, really understood that and really mm. understood our aim to develop influential young women of the future because that's, that's really at the core of the school's work. OK, all right, we, we, we'll delve into it in, in a bit more detail. We've also got on, on the call, uh, on the line, we've got Adrian Rogers, who, of course, is the CEO of Chilton Learning Trust. So, so welcome to Friday Night Live and Inspire FM, Adrian uh, to, uh, Rogers. I, I just want to firstly understand the role of the, the Chilton Learning Trust with regards to the, the Chorney uh, Girls High School. Yeah, yeah. Um, evening, everyone. Um, I apologise. If I'd have known Rahana was in the studio, I would have driven down to Luton. I'm only sitting in, in sunny Clockville. I'm okay. sorry that I, I'd come down to see Rahana and Joe. I didn't realise I had to come to the studio. No, so I apologise to those. You, you don't have to, but anyway, yeah, we appreciate <laughs> that gesture. <laughs> um, I, 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 two, two things, really. Yeah. One, the, the trust took the school on um, two and a half years ago, almost three years ago now, um, and... Um, the the ethos in the school wasn't as Rahana and Joe have, have described. The girls didn't come first always, um, and the school deserved that 2015 report. Not the, not the staff, but the school in general deserved that report. Sure. Joe and Rahana have been extremely modest. Um, the trust took the school on. Um, we appointed in Joe a wonderful head. We appointed in Rahana a, a brilliant chair of governors that has championed those girls. And the turnaround in the last three years, two and a half, three years, has been down to two or three things that, that Joe and Rahana have touched on. But in terms of the trust involvement, our main involvement has been putting in inspirational leaders that have changed that culture. And the culture in the school is very different. The school is packed and all subscribed. The girls are wonderful. That wasn't the case five years ago when the last Oxford report came in. It wasn't the case three years ago. The trust's involvement has been to enable good leaders to inspire the girls, inspire the community. Um, and, you know, and I would want the community to be very proud of, of the girls, really, mm. you know, with that out, outstanding report. Okay. I mean, just to, to come back onto that, Adrian. So, I mean, when you say... Yeah. Yeah, when you say to provide, you know, inspirational leaders, what what else practically does the trust do with regards to the schools? And is it all the schools in Luton, or just some of the schools in Luton? Yeah, we have we have eleven schools, and there are six right. in Luton. Um, and um, 
you know, and I know we're here to discuss Chorney girls, but you know, Chorney boys got an outstanding report um, earlier this month. Um, Denby is on an outstanding report. There's only been, to put in context for the for the listeners, there's only been six secondary schools since September in the country. I've got an outstanding report, and Chorney boys and Chorney girls are two of those. You know, so what in terms of inspirational leadership the trust has been able to do has put good leaders in. We've supported it with our other outstanding practice. So Denby High, for example, have been, I know Rahan's very competitive about Chorney girls being better than Denby High, but three or four years ago, Denby High were, were instrumental in this change because we could use lots of their outstanding practice in Chorney girls. Mm. So that's so that modelling of great practice. And we sit here in Luton and we forget that three of our schools are three of the best schools in the country. Fantastic. You know, and... And, and so that's why I, I, I've come on tonight here to, to hopefully get that pride from the listeners as well. Yeah, fantastic. No, no, de- definitely. Uh, it, it's something that we, we need to share and we need to, you know, we need to, sh- yeah, we, yeah. Need, we need to shout out loud and clear so that, you know, the community yeah. uh, realise, acknowledge and, uh, you know, are aware of that. I mean, I mean, what, how does that then translate into, into then teaching? And in terms of academic results, is there is it is it directly proportional, yeah. uh, Joe? Yeah. In, in in your uh, in your experience, I mean, so we've got an outstanding from from offset. Then does that ne- necessarily translate into academic yeah. results and the best academic results in terms of uh, in comparison with other schools in, in Newton? Well, in terms yeah, of Chorley yeah. High School for Girls, yeah, um, the results are in probably the top 8% of schools nationally right. for progress. Right. Um, so the progress score in the summer last year was plus 0.61, mm. which is which is astonishing, uh, really. Can I also yeah. just kind of put some of that into context mm. as well? And if we talk about all three schools, and Adrian says that I'm competitive, uh, I am. <laughs> mm. um, I am. But, I mean, if, if we talk about those three schools in particular, Tawny Girls, Tawny Boys and, and Denby, if you think about the context of those schools and those young people, so they yeah. will take in children from some of Luton's most deprived wards. All three schools have an uh, above-the-national-average intake of pupil-premium children, so that's children on free school meals. Mm. So children in, in living in either absolute or relative poverty um, are coming into our schools. Mm. So that's the context. There's also, you know, we know high ethnic minority populations in yeah. those schools, and we, and, you know, and you and I as as, as ethnic minorities know um, how often um, our identity is framed in negativity. Yeah. Um, and so what we have here is, uh, is schools that are really championing championing people from or, or young people and creating success stories of young people who are perhaps from some of the most marginalized communities mm. um, inspiring them believing in them and getting the results for them and I think the context here is really important I would yeah. say that um, it, I mean it's really great that Rahana said that the schools are inspiring them but quite frankly the girls inspire us mm. um, they so do. it's they, they, do, re- yeah. they really do um, because they're fiercely ambitious so mm. even if we've got large numbers of girls and boys over at the boys school that are in receipt of free school meals they are fiercely ambitious for Fantastic. for their f- for their futures they want to make a difference to their local community uh, mm. and beyond so that's a real privilege for us yeah. um, to you know to serve the community in that way yeah i mean it sounds fantastic it sounds very good in fact right uh, I, i'm just wondering whether you're 
willing to share some of those secrets with uh, with some of our wider listeners and some of the other schools. I mean, it's, it's, it's great that you've got a, a trust behind you. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've got access to considerable resources in comparison with some of the other schools, potentially, right? Uh, because bringing in inspirational, you know, teachers, leaders, of course, it requires, you know, you know, a substantial, you know, a significant amount of resourcing uh, to be able to, to be able to do that. So, so where, where does that then lead in terms of sharing some of those secrets with some of the other, you know, some of the good practices, for example, with some of the wider schools? So that you know, Joe's going to Joe's going to be really modest, but yeah. what, what when we um, employ, if, if you look at our mm. leadership team, mm. actually in um, at Tony Girls, um, and it's been through some some change yeah. um, some recruitment some losses some changes so that, they're, they're a fantastic team but they are they are a superb team and the talents and skills on our team yeah. are you know and I don't know if Adrian is still with us but are, are pretty impressive and a really diverse range of skills and Joe will be really modest but when yeah. we, we took on Joe we took somebody who was an excellent leader with an excellent track record and Joe is um, you know she talks about teaching and learning but um Joe's work and the way that she works within within our school. So I mean, I don't think we would necessarily either of us say that there is a model within Chorney Girls that you lift mm. and you and you put into another school. But what Joe is really keen on is kind of evidence based approaches that mm. fit your context mm. and responding to the, the the individual needs and priorities of your school. Mm. Uh, I think you have to have an absolute belief that the people working within the school. Yeah can work together to improve whether or not you're going from outstanding to Mm. beyond outstanding to world-class or from good to outstanding the answers to school improvement usually lie within within schools themselves so it's a question of getting people working together on Mm. those on Mm. those things Mm. so Chorley High School for Girls is full of really talented people Mm. the leadership team are brilliant but there's some fantastic teachers there Mm. some that have been there for a long while some of them have been and so oh the support staff are absolutely fabulous you know the TAs um, the office staff the admin staff everybody I mean I I, I was going to come on to that I mean you know I've got a very high regard for, for teaching and for teachers uh, even though I'm, I, I, I could never teach as, as an individual. And, I, and I've hardly ever seen a teacher that's not passionate about teaching, right? Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy job, right? And most of the teachers, you know, I've always found them very passionate. But I mean, you know, that passion, that, passion, that drive extends mm. to a lot of other schools and we're not achieving, we're not necessarily seeing that kind of same success. And that, hence, that's where my question was coming mm. from. But then you also describe a, a very positive, close, good working relationship and bond between parents, teachers, and, and you know governance etc etc what's the what, what's the the secret there right how do you get a because a lot of the times I, I find parents to be very passive taking a backseat not necessarily very proactive to what extent is that a, a key critical component in you know putting all of this together do you know I mean I think Adrian will probably want to say something towards this but what I, what I will say is that what I have always championed within our school is is recognizing that with their identities, whether you know as female, as um, Pakistani, Bengali, Muslim young women, that all the parts of those identities bring something positive to our school, mm. and that when those are talked about within our school, I want those things to be fam- framed in positivity. I want them to be recognized as assets, um, and I think that when you 
you know, when you frame conversations in this way, it changes attitudes. When parents come into your school and they hear their daughters being spoken about in a positive way, um, that, you know, that our, that our cultures and our ethnicities and our faiths are kind of regarded and respected, mm. of course schools want to engage with you. Of course parents, mm. our parents have not been passive, I think, at all. Our open evenings have been just, I mean, I try to go to most open evenings and meet mm. new parents and things I mean Joe is kind of literally on her feet for six hours or something you know mm. delivering because we've got this kind of round table of people coming in mm. visiting mm. because I think that kind of um, that culture is yeah. contagious those feelings are contagious people can mm. you know I think people are really good at picking up um, unspoken things as well as the spoken mm. things mm. All right. So we do things from kind of little things. So one of our assistant heads has organised coffee mornings yeah. for parents to uh, to come in. And you might right. just have five parents at a time, but that's yeah. important. Yeah. Through to, we've got an evening next week where we're encouraging more girls to take on EBAC subjects. That's right. languages and history and geography and, right. and computing, etc. Um, and that'll, that'll bring in a lot more people in and the trust mm-hmm. are supporting us in that evening as well. So it's doing all sorts of things right. actually to engage people in different ways right fantastic okay I, I was asking the, the producers how, how am I supposed to discuss this story for half an hour but it looks like we've already half an hour is already over and there was plenty to discuss so I, I think just before we, we wrap up I, I just want to re-echo you know on behalf of Inspire for me you know, congratulations uh, it's, it's a great achievement thank you uh, I don't know who I need to, to, to you know reflect my next comment to but perhaps a pay rise for, for Joe maybe it's to we can we can hear Mr. Rogers in the background saying no 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 money there is no money there is cake you know, like like I said you know teachers uh, you know it's one of those professions which really needs to you know we, we need to really put our hands up and say you know it's a very tough job it's not one of the the easiest jobs out there very very tough long hours uh, you know, I'm very passionate. It's about the future of our community, future of our generation. And I think not only do we need to celebrate these achievements through cakes and, and sweets, <laughs> which is fantastic, let's also recognise uh, and, and reward them. And just celebrate the girls. I mean, that those girls, girls really, too, really deserve this. I think yeah. for a long time they've been the so poor relation sh- to sh- the boys' a, schools. A, a shout so out absolutely, a shout out to yeah. Tawny girls out there. Fantastic, mm. fantastic. I think for all of us, yeah. actually, I mean, I've been a teacher for a long while, and I yeah. think this this Ofsted result right. has been the highlight for me in my entire teaching career. Isn't it fantastic, isn't yeah. it? After all of that hard wow. effort that you get something like that and it's really yeah. that cherry in the cake, fantastic. Joe, Adrian, last words from yourself? Um, two things. One, I think there is a winning formula. I, yeah. I disagree with some of your comments. I think, I think it's a can-do attitude that Rahana said. And yeah. In the trust and in children girls, they have a can-do attitude. They don't let second best be good enough. And yeah. Secondly, I would urge all your listeners to go onto your Twitter account and watch the girls celebrate. It, I promise every oh. listener it will make them even grin all night or cry. It is absolutely beautiful. Oh, it's a 27 second clip on Tony Girls Twitter account and on your Inspire Twitter account. Please watch the girls pride when they get outstanding Fantastic. I, 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 I will do that and I will echo that again in, in the show later on thank you very much I mean I went onto the website I didn't go onto the, the Twitter account but I'll do that after the show thank you very much Adrian for joining us on this uh, Friday evening and giving us your, your, your time so generously thank you very much Adrian cheers mm-hmm.
Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. All right, Joe. Thank you very much for joining us here in the studio. Thank you for inviting. Uh, lo- lo- for lovely inviting having me. me here. I don't know if it's been your first time. It is the first time, and I hope it's not the last. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll, lo- we'll love to see you more often here in the studio. It'd be great to bring some of the girls. Actually, oh, actually that would be a, really great. That's a good idea. A good idea. Maybe on one of the other shows. You know, yeah, that, that, that'd be lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Joe, for joining us, and Jazakallah, uh, Sister Rihanna, also for coming into the studio. And once again, congratulations on behalf of Inspire FM to the school and to the management team thank you fantastic okay all right listeners that was a uh, chony girls high school uh, some f- positive news as i was saying earlier that we're celebrating uh, and as per the comment last comment from uh, adrian uh, rogers you know go to the cha- what was it chony high school for girls twitter account and see the celebrations uh, by the girls for achieving outstanding uh, from ofsted great is it a great result uh, we're about to go into a commercial break uh, when I will come back from the commercial break, we've got a couple of other stories that we're going to be covering. Uh, we're going to be covering Ofsted, but for, for not a very positive reason. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think a bit of controversy again in Birmingham when it comes to Islamic faith schools and Ofsted. So we're going to be finding out what's happening there. Uh, and then last but not least, we've also got a, a, a money expert, a finance expert, Mr. Colin Rowe, that we're going to be speaking to in the last half an hour of the show and how to stay safe. A lot of ATM fraud, a lot of finance, financial fraud on the increase. We're going to be getting some expert advice around how to stay safe. Uh, until we come back uh, from the commercial break, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafi Shaban, on this Friday, the 7th of February 2020. Uh, edition of Friday Night Live. Uh, it is now uh, 7 p.m. and we are into the second hour of tonight's program. Uh, mashallah, fantastic speaking uh, to Chani Girls High School head earlier. Uh, Joe, Rihanna Faisal also in the studio. And we of course had Adrian Rogers, the CEO of Chilton Trust. A great result there. Fantastic news for a local Luton school. In fact, a number of local Luton secondary schools achieving outstanding. So that's a great result overall. Uh, one of our brothers is uh, Zaid has messaged in good progress, excellent result. What about attainment? So I did ask that question earlier. Uh, does that correlate to attainment too? So, uh, 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 so the good question. I did put that to the panel earlier when we were discussing it. Okay, we're going to move on to the next story. Uh, and as I was saying earlier, the next story is related to Ofsted, but a slightly different perspective when it comes to the faith schools and particularly Islamic schools. Now, a lot of our listeners may have a view on this. It'd be interesting to hear your view. 01582 481822. 01582481822. 0779481822 is the number here in the studio for your social media messages, right? Story that I'm going to start covering is Islamic school, an Islamic school in Birmingham is suing Ofsted, suing Ofsted after being failed after Ofsted found a 25-year-old leaflet promoting Khilafah in the library. Right. Uh, but 
it's not just the case of a, a leaflet being found in the library, it would appear, because as I was researching this story, it seems like there's another story that's broken, and that also involves an Islamic faith school, and that also involves Ofsted. I mean, it's, you know, and, and it's, it's no surprise a lot of you may comment. A Birmingham, okay, so uh, let, me, let me go on to the next story, which is a uh, Muslim school accuses Ofsted inspector of walking into the prayer area with shoes on. Right, and this is the accusation. Accusations by Cannon Hills Girls School came after the Education Watchdog published a scathing report rating the school inadequate. Right, that's the second story. The first story involves but involves Birchfield Independent Girls School in Aston. Again, was categorized as inadequate after inspectors found a leaflet, right, uh, in the library. Right, and just before they found that leaflet, it was predicted to get a, a rating of good until they found that leaflet. Now, the question seems to be a bit deeper than just finding a leaflet or you know walking into the prayer area with your shoes on and refusing to take your shoes off or put a, a shoe covering on. Right, I, th I think the question is a lot deeper, and I want to explore this relationship a rather acrimonious relationship, right, between Ofsted. And a lot of the Islamic faith schools. Uh, on the line, I've got a, an, an expert in education, a lot more of an expert than I am, uh, Inam Malik. Inam Malik is the former head of modern foreign languages, and he's one of the teachers who was, uh, you know, involved or brought into this whole discussion around the Trojan horse scandal at Park View School in Birmingham. So let me welcome uh, Brother Inam Malik uh, to Friday Night Live. Salam alaikum, Brother Inam. Hello. Assalamu alaikum, brother Inam. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah. Welcome to Friday Night Live on Inspire FM, Akhi. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you heard the introduction or the last couple of minutes. Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, not not to worry. So I, I just gave a quick introduction with regards to, you know, the acrimonious relationship, it seems like, between a lot of the Islamic faith schools, not all of them, I must add, right? But a lot of the, the Islamic faith schools and Ofsted, right? Uh, so the question that we're, we're asking is, of course, this, uh, uh, this action that's been taken by Birchfield in the Independent Girls School in Aston to sue Ofsted after being failed after they found a 25-year-old leaflet in their library, right? But then also, whilst I was okay. researching that, we've got an accusation by Cannon Hills Girls' School, another school from, from Birmingham area, Muslim Girls' School, who accused Ofsted Inspector of walking into the prayer area with her shoes on, right? And, and, and you know, and, and I could probably think of a number of other stories where we've had similar kind of, you know, acrimonious kind of a relationship between Ofsted and... Islamic faith schools, right? Now you've got a, a good, uh, you know, background in terms of education. What do you make of this attitude of Ofsted towards Islamic schools? Do you think it's it's fair, or do you think you know what? There's a bit more to it when it comes to Islamic faith schools than it comes, you know, versus conventional, you know, public state schools. Uh, to be honest with you, I just want to take the conversation back to a few years. Yeah. Uh, to the Trojan horse incident that happened in 2014. Okay, so we can lay so a bit of context. Yes, yeah, so a bit of context. If you, if you remember back in 2014, yeah. there was a scandal that took place called Trojan horse. It made national news, essentially accusing Muslim teachers, governors, 
uh, take, uh, you know, accusing them of basically taking over state schools and Islamizing them, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So after, you know, this happened over two years, headline news, all, everywhere in the country, media, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, like I said, uh, national news on a daily basis, all the right-wing newspapers were reporting, the likes of Andrew Gilligan got involved, mm. and what happened was 12 teachers were suspended, uh, went through court cases, tribunals, and, you know, a number of teachers were banned. Uh, later, their bans were rescinded, overturned in the high court, uh, mm. and uh, the leadership cases were collapsed in 2017, and the prosecution in the case was accused of an abuse of power and deliberately withholding key disclosure that would have helped in the cases of those lead, uh, senior teachers, including myself. Right. So ever since then, um, you know, Islamic schools have been under more scrutiny. Uh, prior to Trojan Horse, this wasn't happening. Yes, Austin inspection. Brother, in, but, but Trojan Horse, right? I, I get that context, but that wasn't related to Ofsted, was it? Ofsted wasn't involved in that, right? No. So, uh, Ofsted was involved in the sense that Ofsted uh, basically came into the school. Uh, where, where we yeah. thought the Ofsted were going to be neutral and we're going to look at the facts right. when they were uh, inspecting our school, they didn't do that because right. due to the uh, type of questioning that took place, the leading questions they were right. asking uh, mm. to the pupils in the school, such as, uh, are you, why are you wearing a long skirt? Are you not feeling warming in that skirt? Why mm. are a lot of the teachers in this school, why do they have beards? Do you know which of your teachers are homosexual? Are you forced to pray? What? Uh, are boys and girls segregated? Stuff like mm. this. This is a normal questioning. They came with an agenda. They came with preconceived ideas yes. because of the media pressure mm. and what was happening, the headline, the sensationalist news at the yeah. time. Yeah. So they came yeah. and they basically misreported. So let me give an example. Mm. Uh, they reported that there were no musical instruments in the music room. However, they didn't check the cupboards. Mm. Right? Mm. They said that there was segregation in classes, but they only observed they, okay. that, so, that was from a sample from so, two so, classes out of about a hundred. Right. So, so, so stuff I, like this basically I, I, I made I the hear, offset weren't impartial. Okay, brother, you know, I, I hear that, and, and that's all great for that, you know, not not great, sorry, I don't mean it in that way, but I mean, that's all applicable and relevant uh, to that Trojan horse context. Uh, and this was when, was it 2014, did you say? Yeah, 2014. 2014. Subhanallah, it only seems like yesterday, right? Uh, okay, and and it I can does. see I can see the pressure that you're you're saying that about the pressure from the from the national media and Ofsted coming in. Uh, you know, a lot of people have accused, and some people, a lot of people, or some people have accused, you know, Ofsted of being a, a very highly politicized body, right? It's supposed to be an educational yes. body, educational standards, but of course, it has got its, you know, authority through the government, by the government, to go out there, set standards, measure standards, etc., etc. But it's become very politicized in, in recently, right? Uh, I, I mean, but then there's other Islamic schools that I can cite to you as an example where Ofsted goes to those Islamic schools too, right? Uh, and, and, you know, those, those schools are doing, uh, you know, very well. You know, I can, I can name you a school, you know, where, you know, one of my, you know, uh, you know sons go, go, goes to and, and it's got an outstanding rating and it's an Islamic school from Ofsted. So, it, so, so why is it that some schools, Islamic schools, seem to be getting on with Ofsted fairly well and other Islamic schools, there's a bit of an acrimonious uh, relationship? You know, I've uh, thought about that as well, and I agree with your with your sentiments that there are some Islamic schools, and I'm not going to mention them, yeah. that have been given outstanding ratings. Mm. Uh, but to be honest with you, I, I think it's more about 
who the the association of those Islamic schools, who they associated with, the type of people who are the governing body, mm-hmm. the links that they have within the DFE, uh, Australia sector, these things play a part, you see. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. Austin has become a political organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like what it used to be. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, for example, if you take the example of Birdfield School, which is in Birmingham, not too far from where I live, right. it's always generally been a good school. It has a good reputation in the community. Mm-hmm. Parents, the community have been happy with the school. It's produced good results. Yeah. And Austin report has always been pretty decent. And, you know, the fact that over the leaflet, which they found 25, from 25 years ago. Now, I don't want to comment on the co- leaflet itself. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the content of the leaflet. It wouldn't sure. be fair for me sure. to do so. Yeah. However, uh, the fact that that school has been uh, graded inadequate or put into special measures is very concerning. Hmm. Uh, then again, uh, the other school that you mentioned, the fact that an inspector went in in the prayer area with the shoes on, that is extremely disrespectful. Hmm. The fact that they even a common courtesy to show respect to take the shoes off and to go to an area of prayer of worship is extremely concerning and disrespectful from government officials. Mm. It just goes to show that they don't, you know, give the same level of respect. If that was a a, a, a Jewish school and mm. they went into a prayer area, would they perhaps do the same or but, into another school or if they went into a Sikh school and there was a yeah. prayer area and they were required to take the shoes off, would they yeah. do the same? Yeah, the yeah, question absolutely. has to be, I just think that Muslim schools have become People under much more uh, have been under uh, more scrutiny, and the scrutiny has increased uh, on uh, Islamic schools. And you see more and more Islamic schools that were graded good prior to Trojan Horse. Again, I link this to Trojan Horse, and now mm. being uh, yeah, graded inadequate. And this is quite concerning. Rather than Austin supporting these schools and giving them solutions to improve. I'm not saying that all Islamic schools are perfect. Yes, they are generally some schools right. which are inadequate and rightly yeah, so yeah. they should improve yeah. and sort out the standards for the sake of those children. Mm. But I question um, the legitimacy of Austin. I question the intention, I question you know, the agenda that Austin has. For me, Austin is a failed organization. I know this is a strong statement, mm. but from my own personal experiences of Trojan Horse and what Austin did and how they lied and exaggerated the, the evidence yeah. and left out key information, mm. which affected me personally yes. uh, and other teachers. I believe that Austin la- uh, lacks that credibility that he once yeah, has. Sure, it's sure. a failed organization but, but and needs to find a replacement. Yeah, in, um, I, I get your sentiments and uh, especially, you know, the Trojan uh, you know, horse incident. I mean, that, that, that was just incredibly, incredibly you know, uh, you know, outrageous. It was a, it was a media, you know, field trip that they had, right, against these Islamic schools. It was, uh, you know, it was a fantastic news story to sell, uh, to really, you know, you know, you know, uh, scapegoat the, the Muslim community, etc., etc. I get all of that, right? Uh, and I understand where you're coming from in terms of Ofsted, uh, but is isn't that are you not being a bit unfair with labeling the entire body as a failed body as opposed to you know a few bad apples perhaps within Ofsted right who have come in and shown that disrespect but there's a lot of other Ofsted inspectors that I'm sure you know like you get uh, you, you know within the police force with it like you get within the teachers like you get within any institution a lot of good individuals and a few bad few bad individuals yeah generally speaking I believe mm. the statement that in this yeah. That you can't label a whole community with the with yeah. the same title or, yeah. or the same paintbrush. Yeah. Of course, there's always a few bad apples in every community. But we're yeah. talking about uh, over a number of years now. Ofsted has developed a track mm. record. 
mm. of such incidents. So we're not talking of one or two schools. I bet you could pull out many more examples. I don't have them in front of sure. me, but I, oh. you know, over the last three or four years, there's numerous examples that I've read mm. where Islamic schools in particular have been scrutinized in a very different way to other faith schools. <laughs> it's pretty obvious to see yeah. that this is, again, post-Trojan horse. But, but, so uh, I question again, yes. and it's not a few inspectors. Yes, yeah. there may be a few good inspectors that work for Austin and they have the yeah. right intention. Yeah. However, generally speaking, Austin's okay. organization has very bad credibility right. uh, in certain oh. aspects of the community. All right. So so now, now, now let me put another question to you, right? And and this uh, it, it just, you know, occurs to me that I, we we're talking about two schools, both in Birmingham. The Trojan horse itself was in Birmingham. Is, is, is there now this stigma attached Attached to almost Birmingham, right, and and the Birmingham schools, and they're just getting a lot more harder attitude from Ofsted than maybe some of the other counterparts in some of the other towns. I believe so. I yeah. strongly feel that is the case, and I'm mm. glad you mentioned that mm. um, because Trojan Horse happened in Birmingham. Yeah. Twenty-one schools, state schools, were inspected in Birmingham. Mm. The teachers that were involved in Trojan Schools were from Birmingham. Uh, Birmingham made those headlines. Birmingham has had other issues as well, you know. So mm. for me, yeah, there's a different sort of, uh, you know, uh, Birmingham has its own, attracts its own limelight. Yeah. And there's a different, Birmingham is seen in a very different way to other uh, cities. You know, you look mm. at media headlines uh, for, uh, outside of education, labeling Birmingham as a, a hotbed of extremism and yeah. jihadi plot and all of well, these well, kind of stuff. Lute, 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 all of these things play a part. Yeah, Luton's not too far behind. Exactly. Yeah, we're competing. We're competing yeah. in the in the negative things by by the sounds of it. But but let, yeah. let me ask you another question, Inam. Right? All right. I, I hear all of that. I, I get that. But then does that not mean that we as a community, unfairly it may be, right? It's, it's, it's unfair, but doesn't that mean that we then have to work harder to bridge those gaps, right? Uh, or, you know, or, or you, know, you know, bridge those gaps, you know, more active in our outreach engagement, more active in trying to get, get a, a positive reflection and representation of our community, more positive in terms of our schools reaching out, you know, you know, it does that not mean that we got to do all of those good things, hard things, right? To almost try to give the, the positive reflection of our community and our schools and our inputs, uh, you know, to, to kind of counter that kind of negative, uh, you know, and build relationships, right? So if it means build relationships within DES or whatever else, body that you were referring to earlier, whether it means building relationships with, I don't know if you can build relationships with, with Ofsted. I, I don't know how it works with Ofsted. But isn't there some positive things that we can do around, you know, education, the council, education division, and, and, and other, you know, re representatives to try to make it a bit easier for educationalists within Birmingham. Look, you mentioned uh, a lot of points there. Yeah. Look, my, my stance is whether we're in Birmingham, whether we have a Muslim community in Bradford or anywhere mm. else, mm. we should engage in uh, grassroots activities, whether that's politics, whether that's community right. work, whether that's education, yeah. sports, the arts, whatever it may be. Mm. Uh, we need to do that. Trojan Horse was a real example of when the community didn't engage, the community didn't come out and protest. Mm. Uh, 
you know, the government were able to just run the riot, you know. Uh, they they held the narrative and we weren't able to, cha- you know, counter the narrative because we weren't active, we weren't organized. So organizations such as MEND, for example, are doing great work. Uh-huh. There's lots of other organizations. So Muslims, whatever specialism they have, they should uh, engage with organizations. They should get involved. They should uh, hold to account their local MPs, their councils, people that they elect to serve them. They should put pressure on them. Uh, and, and and work with them and, and see how they can improve. Now, when it comes to education, I still believe that parents uh, should be much more active than they are. They should get involved in governing bodies. They should uh, get involved with the, uh, the education of the children in the school, outside of the school, so that when all different organizations work together with the objective for the better uh, of the community, then things can improve. But at the same time, I would also say that I think it's unfair to say, oh, well, you know what? Muslims don't integrate. Muslims don't integrate. Well, I'm yeah. sorry, I don't always agree with that yeah, because yeah. Muslims do integrate. How yeah. about the other side integrating with us? Why is it yeah. that we have to always okay. run okay. You know, to them? The people need to, both parties have to uh, walk to each other. You know, yeah. there has to yeah. be yeah. an equal relationship, if you know. And I just yeah. think that uh, it's, it's almost like, you know, Muslims have, some Muslims have become apologetic. For example, mm. Just to hold on to that thought, let me let me go to my, my listeners, right? Uh, you know, it's, uh, some very interesting points that you're making, uh, Brother Inam. Uh, some very interesting points with regards to Ofsted education at the Muslim community. Uh, half an hour earlier, we were discussing with Chorney Girls High School here in Luton, state school, being, you know, you know, being given an outstanding, you know, you know, you know category or, or status by Ofsted, you know, uh, in, in its recent, you know, uh, report, uh, great achievement. We were just celebrating that in the studios. Uh, we had Rihanna Fest, who's, the ch- who's, who's a, a governor and also the chair of the governors. Uh, you know, a high, you know, percentage of ethnic minorities, Muslims, part of that school. And she was speaking very positively with regards to the relationship between the the, the teachers, the the students. And, and the parents and, and the governors, right? Uh, and, and some interesting points that you're making in, um, you know, listeners, I want to hear your thoughts, right, with regards to what we're discussing. 01582 481 lot of A lot of my listeners are teachers. I want to hear from you. Parents, I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts with regards to Ofsted? 0779481822. You know, 0779481822 is almost like Brother Inam's telling me, right? I've heard this word and this label quite a lot recently, right? Uh, but it's almost like Brother Inam's telling me Ofsted has become toxic, right? Now, it's quite easy, right? It's quite easy for us to start labeling toxic, right? Sometimes I hear, you know, prevents being to- is, is toxic, you know, it's an ag- toxic agenda, toxic you know, legislation, toxic initiative. Let's get rid of it. Right, uh, well, uh, and brother Inam, we're not discussing prevent, right? But almost you're, you're, you're almost telling me the Ofsted when it comes to Islamic schools is, is a toxic, you know, you know, you know, public body, and we need to do with it. I but, firmly believe that, yeah. But, uh, but based on the, the actions of Ofsted, yeah, based on yeah, I, what's I, happened I, in the last few years, that's been treated. I believe that. I, I hear your thoughts, uh, yeah, just out of interest. What, what is the update on, on, on that? The, that case? Uh, you know, is it Birchfield High School that's trying to sue Ofsted? Where have they got to that? Any idea? Uh, I'm not sure myself uh, what mm. the current situation is. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So, 
Okay, it, it, it'd be interesting to to get an update on that. But I mean, I mean, a couple couple of other quick points is you know I, I, even that leaflet. I know we haven't gone into it. Twenty five year old leaflet. I mean, it'd be interesting whether a school, uh, uh, what would happen to a school that maybe there was a leaflet, you know, talking about the Labour Party or the Conservative Party hanging around in the library. Would that be a, a cause uh, and a reason for that school to be consti- you know, to, to for it to be const- you know, uh, labelled uh, as a as a failing school because it's got leaflet promoting Labour Party or the That's Conservative question. Party. Would that school be labelled as highly political, meaning that they should mm. be educating the kids and focusing on curriculum, mm. uh, but not on politics. So mm. you're right. Could, mm. you know, is so, that questionable so, as well? That, that's, uh, I that's mean, what are the boundaries? You know? okay. Like I, I said, I don't know the content of the leaflet, so I can't mm. comment, but you raise a good point there. Yeah, no, I've looked, the, I've, I've the looked into the it. They said that the leaflet promoted Khilafah. Now, Khilafah is by no stretch of the imagination uh, an illegal concept. It's a very core and fundamental part of Islam, so I can't understand why that would contravene any particular, you know, you know, laws or legislation with regards to safeguarding. But anyway, you know, t- today we have what we have, and we have a very kind of a strange logic which uh, you know adds two and yeah. two and says it's five or six, as opposed to what it actually is, right? Anyway, uh, I've got I've got the school reaction. The leaflet identified has, I mean, e- even in terms of the school reaction, you know, you, you earlier you mentioned kind of the apologetic, you know, you know, kind of an angle and an attitude. I mean, I I found the school reaction to be quite apologetic actually because they said the leaflet identified has no place in our teachings curriculum or ethos and I thought well hang on you're in an Islamic school and the leaflet espouse, is espousing Khilafah or the Islamic ruling system Islamic Khilafah is, has, has 1400 years of Islamic history so if you're in Islamic mm-hmm. school you can't say that this has no place in our teachings curriculum or ethos it's a bit strange isn't it mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, yeah, you, but you, you don't know. Okay, the so full you, you content of the leaflet yeah. would be uh, misinformed of me to comment on that. You agree. The context where they're teaching that leaflet, I don't know. Okay, so. and, and, Ofsted, and I've got a statement from Ofsted here. A spokesman for Ofsted said, Our inspection handbook makes it very clear that a setting will be rated inadequate if it is considered that safeguarding is ineffective. So their position here is that safeguarding has been considered ineffective. Because of that literature there. Anyway, Brother Inam, we've discussed no, the, Ofsted the enough. Is that, yeah, go on very quickly. Well, the question is that uh, what, what practical examples yeah. have Ofsted provided where uh, children were put in, uh, that their safeguarding was compromised. Yeah, exactly. If that leaflet, if, I, again, I don't know the it, if that, that leaflet that, was espousing yeah. extremist views, let's just say, yeah. if that leaflet, were, were those views shared yeah. to the children? Did yeah. those children no, no, no. have those views? No, I they, don't know. They, 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 they weren't. And, and the statements are very clear. People are very, ha- mm. people are very happy in the school. Ofsted said, pupils and staff work well together and there is a good level of mutual respect, etc, etc. Then it, it fails well, that point. I've got 30 seconds left. Brother, tell me more about this Trojan Horse Theatre that is happening up and down the country. So we've just done our second tour. Uh, this play uh, is organised by Long Theatre. It won the Amnesty International Freedom of Expression Award at the Fringe Festival a couple of years ago. Right. And we're currently playing tonight at the Oldham Coliseum. Next week we're in Glasgow and Edinburgh, followed by that we're in Oxford, Exeter, Derby and I, Warwick. I, I, I really want to really come and see this. Is, is that happening anywhere in Luton? You need to see this play. It's a phenomenal play. And it really highlights the corruption of the government in the Trojan Horse scandal. Fantastic. Okay, so this is the Trojan Horse theatre plays that are happening up and down the country. 
further information contact inspire fm and we will pass on that information to you brother inam malik it's been brilliant speaking to you Akhi. jazakallah had unfortunately thank you for the platform Thank you to the Okay, listeners, that was Inam Malik, brother Inam Malik, very passionate. Of course, he's had a lot of experience, a lot of history with with uh, with Ofsted, and I can understand where he's coming from. But let's put things into perspective. I'm gonna go into a commercial break. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Don't go away. Last story, and then we're done. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to this last half an hour, last half an hour of uh, this evening's Friday Night Live uh, on the Friday, the 7th of February, corresponding to, I believe it was earlier, the 12th of Jamal Dasani, 1441. Okay, so we are into our last half an hour of the show. I, I, I feel it's been an interesting conversation. Uh, I want to hear from you, my listeners, whether you feel or you concur, whether it's been an interesting conversation or not. Uh, I want to hear from our listeners. 01582481822 is the number here in the studio. Who's going to be brave enough to call and uh, share their thoughts with me this evening? 01582481822. Happy to have a conversation with anyone. Just pick up that phone. Have a, and you know, you, you know, pull, pull yourself together and, and just pick up that phone and just dial that number zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two. You can of course send in your thoughts via SMS, WhatsApp zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two. What, what, which of the stories, in particularly, has caught your attention? And uh, maybe you've got a particular thought on it. So we've we've we've, we've covered covered the the Streatham attack uh, last weekend, second of February, Sunday. We had an interesting perspective there. We discussed with Sheikh Suleiman Ghani. We discussed Brother Kerry from Cage. And we also had Khurram Bashir, who's a prison imam. Interesting perspectives. Uh, we've then had Chawni High School for Girls. Uh, gets outstanding from Ofsted. It was fantastic. Speaking to Adrian Rogers, CEO of Chilton Trust. Joe Miles, uh, Chawni High School for Girls head. We had Rihanna Faisal come in, chair of the governors on that school. Great result. Well done. And a big shout out to Chawni High School. And then we were just discussing with Brother Inam Malik from Birmingham. Islamic school uh, which is set which is suing or set to sue Ofsted after being failed over 25 year old leaflet that was found in the library and we were discussing the rather acrimonious right relationship between Ofsted and a lot of the Islamic schools and as I pointed out it's not quite acrimonious with all the Islamic schools because I know some Islamic schools would seem to have a very good relationship with Ofsted and you know what get good ratings and recordings from uh, from from Ofsted but you know it is known to be a very politicized body especially when it comes to Islamic faith schools right so those are the stories that we've covered up until now 01582481822 for your thoughts your opinions 0779481822 as I said any particular story any particular opinions reach out to me and I'll, and I'll ensure that they get covered 
Right, we're going to move on to our final story this evening for the next couple of minutes uh, that we're going to be covering. And this is something that caught my attention this week. And I thought, let's cover this story because I think it affects all of us, right? All of us are affected by this particular issue. And it's about, you know what, being safe. But not I don't mean physically safe, but, you know, keeping our assets safe, keeping ourselves safe when it comes to financial matters, right? Financial matters. Now, I'll tell you what caught my attention this week. Uh, it was a video that was going around. Someone had, uh, had uh, you know, you know, filmed a, a local ATM machine. I think in Bury Park, right? An ATM machine. If you've seen this this video, then just WhatsApp me and, and tell me that you've seen this video, right? It's a video going around of an ATM machine uh, where you know what there, you know, someone's you know very cleverly uh, you know uh, you know spotted and identified that there was actually uh, a kind of a camera, right? that was attached to the ATM machine so that whenever you went and actually used that ATM machine and used your card, of course, that camera was picking up your PIN details, right? And the criminals would, of course, would have come later on taking that camera and then would have been able to get your financial details, your PIN number, etc. And then use that in a criminal in a, a, a way, right? And, and only the criminals know how they would then utilize that information for their own personal gains and benefits right so that kind of caught my attention uh and then there you know a couple of other headlines also that i that, that i saw this week uh again no, no new headlines uh but again a father says kids were left screaming after two men robbed him at luton cash point right so a man was robbed of his cash card and 500 pounds in front of his wife three young children in broad daylight in luton last weekend right uh, and 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 i'll tell you something else that that's uh, that's uh, you know i've observed right and a lot of my listeners would have, might have observed this and it's a, it's a recent proliferation when i say recent last couple of years proliferation and the emergence of a really increased number of atm machines you know standard atm machine was you know you went to the barclays bank or you went to your high street bank and they would have an atm machine and that was pretty much the only atm machine that you would find you would find an atm machine with a, a, a well-recognized bank but nowadays of course you've got these third-party providers who go and stick these atm machines pretty much anywhere and everywhere you know shops have atm machines inside outside and so atm machines have become a lot more popular a lot more you know widespread but so have these dubious kind of ATM machines that have been tampered with, right? And the criminals have come and tampered with them. You go and use that ATM machine and you know what? You're a victim of a fraud. All right, so it's not just ATM fraud. It's, it's, it's a wider question around financial fraud. And we've got an expert that we're going to be speaking to to get some advice about staying safe. What are some of the sensible things that you can do? Because I'll be very honest with you, this ATM machine that was going around in this video, I think I used that ATM machine. Possibly I think I used this ATM machine and it looks fairly innocent. And you look around it and I do try to cover my pin when I'm using it. Some sensible things that we can do. But it's, it is quite incredible how far criminals are going to try to get our personal information. Right, so that's that's the story, right? And we're going to be covering a, a bit of a wider context in terms of money expert and, and some money advice, right? So if you've got a question, 01582-481-822-0779-481-822. Enough of my ranting. Let's go directly to the expert and speak to the expert himself. Mr. Colin Rowe, welcome to Friday Night Live and thank you very much for joining us in Inspire FM. 
Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Right, Colin, you've probably heard me ranting on for the last couple of minutes, setting a bit of a context and a bit of scene, right? So we've got a whole host of things that we want to probably cover in the next 15 minutes. But let, let's just start off with some, some, some common issues around ATM fraud and financial fraud. And, uh, and, and, and just tell us about, you know, is, is this one of the most common type of uh, typical kind of fraud types that we're seeing at the moment more frequently? Or is this just one of many? It is one of many. The Probably the most common one which you and your listeners will probably see every day are email scams. Yeah. Anyone yeah. who's got an email inbox, you get them every day. You get Absolutely. them from people pretending Netflix, from Amazon, from HMRC. Yeah. And those are probably the most common ones you come across, but people have become better at spotting them. So let, let, let's just let, let's just echo the, uh, some advice around that because you, you're right, okay. And and you know a lot of our listeners, I, I think, are getting a lot better at this, right? There's a lot more awareness about this, but this, uh, you'll be surprised how many people are still victims of these kind of things, right? So if you're receiving a dubious email from Netflix or HMRC or or, or your bank, you know, purporting to be genuine, what's the first thing they need to do? If it's an email. The easiest way to spot it is if you expand the pane at the top of the email and look at the email address it's actually sent from, not not the name that shows up on your inbox, the actual email address. Yeah. And it won't make any sense. It'll be at a random series of letters numbers.com. Yeah. Okay. If you then have a look at, go through your inbox and have a look at legitimate emails you'll be getting from providers that you trust and the email addresses look perfectly legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the that's the easiest way to spot them. Also, things like the way they'll address you. They don't know your name, so they'll say things like "dear valued customer" or something like that. Mm. A legitimate mm. email will always call you by your name. Mm. All right, good. Okay, so we've got we've got that out, out, out and clear to our listeners. Hopefully, right. Why don't you continue, Colin? So we were talking about the common type of kind of financial fraud. Well, let's have a look at the ATM fraud because mm. this is where we're talking about the subject. It was a, I, I've had a look at the video and it's quite interesting. And the thing is, most people don't... And can anyone really describe what an ATM really looks like? You know, they, they all look slightly different. They've all got... Sort of, they're all different shapes, different designs. Mm. And they can be really, really hard to spot. That camera was probably a little bit more blatant than some I've seen. Yeah. Because you, uh, you can get absolutely tiny cameras now which they can attach, which are really, really difficult to see. Uh, they can attach uh, devices to the slot where you put your card in, yeah. where it just reads all the details off your card and sends it to them wirelessly. Right, wow. um, there's been issues with uh, fake keypads put over, again, to just to get your PIN number. Mm. And it's just a fake keypad put over the real one, and again, it just sends your PIN number to, to the scammers. Wirelessly, and I mean that 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 sounds very. very I, I thought they have to come back and collect some of this information, but wow, it's it's all wireless. Do, it depends on how on how good they are. Mm. Some of the, some of this stuff is is wireless. Wireless technology is so yeah. readily available now. Yeah, a yeah. lot of them are using it. And but you know, you're all right. Some of them are a little bit more low tech. They will. Uh, you have um, the things you go with the card slots, which they don't read the details. They just won't give you your card back. All right. And then. You know, uh, when everyone's gone home and it's really late at night, the scams will come back and they'll just take the thing off and it's got all the cards in there. Oh wow! And then they just then they just literally just have your have your debit or credit card. Wow, wow, 
Right. Okay. So, so plenty of uh, you know, plenty of types of frauds, uh, financial fraud that are out there. Uh, the next obvious question is going to be, you know, how, what is the advice, right, for our, a lot of our listeners, for all of our listeners, for my, for me as an individual, in terms of staying safe, right, uh, and not being a victim or readily being a victim of those kind of frauds, uh, Colin. Well, the, the ATM stuff is, is difficult because mm. you might not notice it. So a, a good habit to get into is, is checking your, your statements and your online banking. Make sure there aren't any transactions on there you don't recognize, and your credit card statements as well, of course. Yeah. If you're getting contacted on the phone or by email or by text message, think about if are you expecting to be contacted? Yeah. A lot of... It can be difficult sometimes if you're mm. getting, because some of them will claim to be from your bank, and that's obviously very, very difficult. Because, mm. you know, if someone phones you up and says they're from your bank, mm. you you believe them. Yeah. So yeah. the best advice then is, again, still just be suspicious. If someone's called you up, claim to be from your bank, hang up the phone, leave it a few minutes, because the scammers can hold on to your phone line for a while. Mm. Give it about five minutes and then call your bank back hmm. the, with the number which is on the back of your card. And if there is a problem, then your bank will tell you. Right, but, but, but Colin, can I, can, I, can I just come back to you know, the earlier question about ATMs, right? I, I, yeah. I, t- I tell you, you know, what my concern is, right? Uh, you know, you, you get the, the emergence of all of these third parties that are providing all of these ATMs, right? You know, I've become, apart from the fact that a lot of these ATM machines charge, and then that's an, an enough incentive for me not to use that ATM machine anyway, right? I feel a lot more comfortable when there's an ATM directly, which is there, which has been put there by the bank, you know, or it's with the bank, right? I kind of feel a bit more safe using those because I, I've almost got this false sense of security that the bank is therefore responsible for that maintenance of that ATM machine and would be ensuring that there's nothing dubious happening around that ATM machine. Is that a bit far-fetched in terms of my confidence? That, yeah, you, sort of, you summed it up, there's a, it's a false sense of security there, right. probably more than anything else. Right. But the, the, the third parties who operate cash machines, it's still perfectly legitimate. A, a, a bank's cash machine is just as likely to have a device like this fitted right. as any other cash machine. Mm, mm. But most right. importantly, actually, I should have said this earlier, but if you, if you find something like that, if you, there's something suspicious about the cash machine, Report it straight away to the either to the bank who is operating the ATM or to the to the company who's operating the independent one. All right, all right, right. I'm with you. And you then make sure, uh, in fact, yeah, that's always the case. Report it as soon as possible. Make sure you yeah. protect like other people in your community. Let them know that vid- the things like that video going around is absolutely brilliant because then people know I'm not going to use that that cash machine. Yeah. Apart from not going to use that cash machine, I, th- I think we need to be a bit more wise in terms of how we use our cash machines. Uh, and then even when we're using cash machine in terms of not only protecting or putting a handover whilst we're actually typing in our, eight, you know, our PIN code, right? You just put a handover so that you're typing it underneath there. It just makes it a bit more you know, difficult to, to read what you're trying to type. It's not almost, it's not impossible to work it out, okay, in terms of where the hand movements are going. Uh, but also, I was going to say in terms of just being careful when you're withdrawing cash, but then the incident that I was 
was just talking about earlier is a broad light, a daylight. You got your wife, you got your three young children, and the 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 audaciousness of it, of you know, you still being a victim of uh, of uh, you know uh, of robbery is just incredible. That there's just nothing holding back these desperate individuals. Absolutely, I mean that's a that's an absolutely terrible story, and it. Mm. But, I mean, you can turn around and tell people to be, you know. Yeah. Along with covering your pin number, make sure you're looking around you, make sure there's no one no one hanging around. But mm. I suppose when it comes to things like that, there's not much yeah, you, you can, can do, do is to, yeah, to keep absolutely. yourself safe. If someone's going to do that, then yeah, yeah. because that's an absolutely terrible situation. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, all right. So, so we've we've covered ATMs. We've covered some of the other financial fraud. Obviously, the card fraud is is quite a rampant. As is the the other. Well, what well, what's the what's the reason? Do you think we're we're seeing such a an increasing uh a, 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 you know increase in terms of you know financial fraud and, and, and criminality around that is it just the world's getting a lot poorer and desperate to you to try to get some money any any way it possibly can or is it just you know individuals who just like uh, uh like to defraud others of, of their wealth what, what is it that that's driving this craze uh colin in, in your view it in all honesty it comes down to the the prevalence of digital communication, email, text message. We all have a, a, a smartphone in our pocket when we go out. It's, they've just got so many more avenues to mm. to target you yeah. that it's just become so much more common. So, you know, yeah. sending email, you know, yeah. setting up an email scam is it's quite easy, isn't incredibly it? Easy quite incredibly easy absolutely i mean with with all i think that the message to the listeners is with all of the technology and all the the convenience and and the ease that we're finding you know life and uh, a lot of these uh, you know uh, you know and a lot of the services around it equally it's becoming a lot easier to actually corners and and actually you know fr- and, and to be victims of fraud and i think that's the point that a lot of us are probably not paying attention to and therefore you know unfortunately becoming unwittingly uh, victims of, uh, of of fraud without knowing uh, we, which is which is a, a clear point for our listeners to you know to st- to start making themselves more aware of but i mean it's not only the 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 the, the kind of a, the criminality side of of, of finance and, and and the financial fraud side of things that you're an expert on you're, you're also more of a, a money a money expert too is it colin I, I, it's a generous description of me, but yeah, uh, I suppose I am. Money expert, that's what I've been, I've been told here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, okay, which is great. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of lot of listeners out there who are quite keen and quite eager to, to make their money grow. But I mean, of course, w- w- when I say money grow, they, they, they can't quite utilize the conventional forms of making money grow, which is interest or interest-based products, because a lot of our listeners are, you know, of course, Muslims, and 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 they were probably looking for ethical means of investment and making the money grow, as opposed to just sticking it into the bank and waiting for interest to be accumulated. Because of course, interest is not is prohibited in Islam. Any any suggestions around ethical investments uh, and the market around ethical investments? I I get a feeling that it's on the increase at at the moment. It certainly is. I'd, I'm I'm certainly not an in, investment expert, but there's mm. a, a a lot of uh, pension funds and and things which now which very much focus on 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 ethical on ethical behaviours. Uh, mm. Well, avoiding things like uh, defence contractors, oil companies, so, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Investing in in green energy and yeah. 
ethical and socially mm. uh, so better product yeah which have been doing doing incredibly well but <laughs> so from my point of view you just gotta make sure you sort of have a look around make sure you do your do your research if you're looking into anything like that don't just don't just jump at the first thing that you you come across. Make sure you do your research, and that's always key. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, just just whilst we're discussing fraud, uh, you know, there's a number of you know investor frauds that 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 I was reading about the the just the other day, uh, and that's precisely it. That if some if an invest investor comes along with a proposition sounds all too good to be true then the odds are it is too good to be true and you want to be very careful 100 percent of the time there is never a doubt in that there is there is no such thing as a low risk high return Mm, mm. it it doesn't exist but it's incredible isn't it colin i I mean to be honest with you uh you know how easy it is to fall victim of that because you you just you know like to almost give your doubt you know uh, you know um, you push back your your doubt and the optimism a bit bit more of, a, of an edge all in the hope of making a, a quick buck or two yeah, absolutely so if someone phones you up and, and mm. says that, that there's this opportunity and you can make all this money we all want to believe that that's mm. true you mm. know everyone wants to wants to wants to make that easy money but yeah. it, unfortunately it doesn't really exist that yeah. the idea you can make money quickly like that, but mm. it's always going to be high risk. Mm. Mm. And that's what people need to understand. It's, it's always going to be high risk. There is no such thing as low risk, high reward. Mm. Absolutely. So I, I think listeners, you know, let, let's be careful. I've, I've, I've read a number of stories, uh, you know, with regards to these, you know, very uh, f- fantastic, you know, high value propositions, you know, uh, you know, invest your money, high returns. And, and very low risk apparently only to find all that money goes off to into some kind of a Fonzie scheme and uh, and lo and behold there goes your money and there goes the investor too uh, very quickly Colin we are running out of time I really appreciate your time this evening how is the pension world looking at the at the, at the moment is, uh, you know I, you know I haven't heard pensions make he- the headlines recently uh, but all of the gaps in the pension world and uh, all of the scaremongering around the pensions you know you, you, what, what is the current health check around uh, around the pensions world at the moment pensions are always going to be a difficult area because mm. you are naturally putting your money away for for such a long period of time and you you want to make sure that you've got that money for you when you when you finally get to finish work and put and put your feet up mm. Mm. um i'm certainly not a pensions expert but i would highly recommend anyone who is is worried about their pension in any way wants more information there's some great organizations out there that, um you've got the pensions advisory service and right. pension wise right. you can you can call them up they both got got helplines with experts who can help you with any aspect of your pension and they also do face-to-face appointments if you want something like that okay and right. whilst i'm promoting the organizations that i'm involved with um if you've got anything which you want help with uh, when it comes to the, to money guidance you can also uh, get in touch with the money advice service okay all of these are now underneath the the umbrella company of the of money and pension service but the the brands are still there so if you all of them have websites, loads of information on their helplines as well. So if you need any help with those areas, money advice service, uh, pensions advisory service and pension wise. Okay, on that note, Colin Rowe, thank you very much for your time this evening. Unfortunately, we have now 
run out of time. Thank you very much for your advice and, and great speaking to you this evening. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers, Colin. Thanks. Right, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, that was Colin Rowe, who is a, a money expert at the money and pension service and we will speak to him with regards to financial fraud atm fraud uh, email scams uh, and all the other types of frauds that are that exist out there uh, you know a lot of my listeners would have seen the similar videos to what i've seen around uh, some of the atm machines around luton let's all be careful inshallah i, th- I think let's be careful uh, let's be careful the way we use some of these te- te- technology let's be careful the way we use some of the atm machines you use our fun uh, use our cards and generally the way we deal with one another uh, and, and you know especially i'm going to tell you let's be careful about some of these investments where we're putting our money those of us that have got mashallah rizq to invest be careful because there's a lot of lot of forces out there who will you know incite you uh, to uh, an, a supposed fantastic investment high returns low risk you probably never see that guy again and you probably will definitely not see your money again right so that's been the the lineup this evening mashallah it's been uh, it's been great a number of stories that we've covered uh jazakallah for all of you that have been um, listening in to me and sharing your thoughts uh, with me uh, we, we do always request our listeners you know sometimes mashallah some of our listeners great to hear from you in person a lot of people will sometimes approach me and say great show or you know provide some positive critical feedback on some of our shows some of our stories that we cover it's a lot better if you actually send it officially through to, into the radio station so that you know we, we, we can get it covered inshallah ta'ala, right uh, a couple of other news stories that i wanted to cover this evening i didn't get time but i tell you did you read the story about jared kushner and the 25 books that he's read on palestine and the israeli conflict that apparently makes him worthy of being a, a special envoy and a, and, a, and a peace advisor and a special advisor to trump on the palestinian israeli issue i mean it was laughable to be honest with you laughable because the social media took to that immediately when he made those comments and then all of a sudden everyone who's read any amount of books on any subject matter became an expert so i wanted to cover that but i didn't get the time uh inshallah ta'ala until i'm back uh, next week or the week after whenever I'm back from my travels because unfortunately I'm going to be away for a week or two weeks I'm breaking the news to the production team uh, so when I'm back I will join you in this hot seat until inshallah ta'ala, next time it is, it is assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh from me and whilst I'm away if there's any stories that you want us to cover then you know what to do share some of those stories with us inshallah ta'ala, and whoever's in the hot seat We'll try to cover some of those stories. 01582481822. Until next week, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.